Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Armchair Survivalists. I'm Kurt Wilson, your Armchair Survivalist, and today it is September 22nd in the year 2019. Now, if you're listening to me, you know how to listen to me, and I don't need to tell you how to listen to me, but I got to tell you, I'm getting picked up by so many different uh, websites, so many different podcast companies. It's it's uh, kind of scary. It's almost like I got a, uh, somebody working for me. <laughs> I got, I mean, let's see, uh, Stitcher, Anchor, Spotify, Radio Public, TuneIn, iHeartRadio. I'm even stored on the Wayback Machine, archive.org. Oh, what is this? This is, I don't know, let's see, that's um, player.fm. There's Google Play, Apple Play. Uh, I have my RSS feed. Now, if you go to armchairsurvivalist.com, you can see, scroll down, any page there, you can see all the different ways to listen to me. If you have satellite, Global Star 3, you can listen on that. You can listen to my chat room. You just click on the, up on the top of the page where it says, listen to my show live Sunday in the chat room. Well, click on it. You can listen on your phone. Now, that number is 641 area code 741-0371. Some of you might have what's, you know, these so-called unlimited programs, and what they do is they'll throttle you. If you're listening to some some place that's uh, going to be two hours or three hours, they don't want you doing it. It's a it's a crapshoot, believe me. So area code six four one seven four one zero three seven one, and there's more ways to come. And if you miss the show, there is a link up there that says, "Listen twenty four hours a day to the recent show of the Armchair Survivalist." Click here, do that, and you'll hear the latest show. Or on the left hand page, I'm sorry, the left hand side of the page, you'll see the little uh, nipper dog listening to the RCA Victor gramophone. You click on that, and it'll take you to my archives. And it'll show you what I have, what what, what dates. And, and this year is from May 27th to uh, last Sunday, which was the 15th. So that's how you can listen to me. All right. And we're still closing out certain things. Uh, Survival Enterprises is the store. And we have all kinds of stuff there. You can go to SE1, Samuel Edwards 1, the number 1.us, SE1.us. Or if you can't figure that one out, go to survivalenterprises.com. Heirloom seeds, solar panels. I have one of the large Aquacera LP5 uh, ceramic-filtered, gravity-fed water filter system, which takes out, (laughs) kills all known pathogen, takes out fluoride, uh, all kinds of fuel additives, iron, MTBE, I mean, just all this stuff. Uh, And I'm telling everyone, if you're going to be buying liquids, get them done in the next few weeks or so or a month. Because when winter hits, what does liquid do? It expands and breaks the containers that it's in. So our colloidal silver, colloidal minerals, Lugol's iodine, ionic mineral. I mean, all of the liquid stuff that Survival Enterprises sells, not just us, anybody, I don't care. Buy it before the freeze really starts hitting in. And by the way, we have, to help you do this, we have our colloidal mineral gallon on sale right now uh, through the end of September. Normally, it's 45 bucks for a gallon of colloidal minerals. You can't beat that anywhere in the United States. We have it on sale, 20% off. So what's that? $36. $36 for a gallon of colloidal minerals. All right, we're going to get into the economy now. The United Auto Workers has decided to strike against General Motors. 
This is a communist organization. We all know that. All unions are. That's the basic, that's the whole concept of union is communism. There's about 50,000 of them. They all walked off to, on strike last Sunday. Now, here's the thing. They, uh, and this, this gets me. I'm, I'm like, when I see, when I read all of this, I'm like, what? UAW members at General Motors make over $60 an hour. And yes, you heard me. Over $60 an hour. And they have the gall to say we need more. Oh, they want more this, more that, free this, free that. And of course, the analysis of this whole strike is that it's going to cost General Motors $50 million a day. Well, I don't think General Motors really cares. <laughs> because now they're not paying these jokers $60 an hour. Instead, what these guys are getting is $250 a week strike pay. Yeah, you get paid when you're on strike. $250. Bucks. It's it's ridiculous, which is fine with me. They have offered them. I mean, this is this is past. It's like a baseball player who can barely hit a home run in his whole career, and they're paying him two million dollars a year. I mean, this is asinine. So, GM has had to lay off other workers because there's a domino effect here. So, GM has laid off twelve hundred other workers so far. Now, the vendors, the these are the manufacturers and people who manufacture parts for General Motors, and the trucking firms that haul the stuff to General Motors, they're all getting laid off. So there are thousands and thousands and thousands more people getting laid off because of this. GM came out and said, well, now that you're not working for us, we're not paying your health insurance anymore. So they shut down millions of dollars of health insurance. And I this is what got me. I'm looking at the picket lines. I'm looking at people marching with signs, yelling and screaming, typical socialists, and they're all obese. There might be out of a hundred of them, three of them that are just barely overweight. Everyone else is obese. These are the people making $60 an hour. Now, this is United Auto Workers. This is the same organization that's under uh, investigation by the FBI now for embezzlement, corruption, the, in fact, the uh, president of the UAW, his house has just been raided. I don't know why anybody would be surprised. It's uh, he, he's a, The president's name is Gary Jones. Unions are criminal. They always have been. It's, it's almost a joke. They used to be ran by the mafia. Now they don't need to because useful idiots will run them for them. Uh, let's see, another article here. This one is about lending. Let's say you go to for a mortgage. You go to a, a Bank of America. And you say, all right, I want to borrow $350,000 to buy this house. So they say, well, fill out all of this stuff here. And we'll get back to you as soon as possible. So, you know, you fill out this stuff. And then what they do, the, the lenders, they get your school records to check your grades. They find out what magazine subscriptions you have. They find out, have you ever been arrested and on what? And then they... Um, look at your social media. They look on, on Facebook and see if you know how to handle money. They look on Twitter. They look on LinkedIn. They look on all kinds of different things to evaluate whether or not they're going to loan you the money. Doesn't that give you a warm and fuzzy? Now, here's something that's not going to give you a warm and fuzzy. And I've been giving you slight warnings on the economy and almost everyone else has been giving you more and more. Even though you look outside and you go, wow, look, they're building 50 new houses right down the street. There's more work than there are people to take the jobs. 
Well, there is a thing called the repo rate. And what that is is how much percentage banks are charged to borrow uh, short-term money. Banks borrow from the Federal Reserve, you know, that private uh, institution. And it got, it's been getting bad. This is, this is the forerunner to a recession. It was above 5%. So the Federal Reserve stepped in and decided that they're going to start pumping money. And when I say pumping money, it doesn't mean a handful of greenbacks. It means numbers on a computer. They're going to start pumping money into the economy. This whole insertion of money, insertion, quote unquote, $53 billion. What, $53 billion has just gone into the economy, quote unquote, meaning now people can borrow it. What does that do to the U.S. dollar? My son and I were talking about this the other day, and we're talking about donuts. And when I was a kid in the 50s, we would travel on the West Coast, and there was a donut shop we'd stop at. All the truckers stopped at, and they they stop it from midnight to six. It was only open from midnight to 6 a.m. That's it. And the donuts were a nickel apiece, just just standard cake donuts. If you wanted them with a little drizzle of chocolate on them or dipped in cinnamon sugar, well, that's a little bit more. They'd be $10, I'm sorry, $0.10 a piece. Everybody would usually buy a dozen donuts in a bag for a dollar. A dozen donuts for a dollar. Do you know how much donuts? We went to a donut shop yesterday. The cheap donuts were a buck and a quarter. That tells you what your dollar is worth. And this is how it gets worth nothing is by the manipulation by the Federal Reserve. All right, let's get into food and health. I uh, don't care about that one. The, the, the government's pushing real hard right now for everybody to get a flu shot. This is the moneymaker. This is the two thing. Number one, it makes money for the pharmaceutical companies. Number two, uh, it's going to make money for doctors and all health care because people are going to get sick. The flu shot makes people sick. When you get a flu shot, you can shed... It's called shedding the flu virus for up to 48 hours. So people around you are going to get sick. See, what the flu the flu shot doesn't stop the flu. Actually, it gives you a little bit of the virus. But they're pushing this hard because people aren't dying fast enough in the United States, it seems. Now, you remember me talking about the vaping problem, and you see it every day on the news, and somebody else dies. There's 500 people in the hospital. I mean, on and on. X-ray came out, and it's exactly what I said. Teenagers and millennials, and these are the people who be, you can see sucking on these plastic things. Most, excuse me, mostly. This one guy, his X-rays, his lungs were filled with hardened oil. And I'll tell you why. They have a game they play. It's called, see how much smoke I can make. They will suck in so much they wouldn't do that on a cigarette. But because this is safer, quote unquote, they suck in so much of this steam that's loaded with different essential oils and then they hold it and then they slowly blow it out. Sucking it in is what causes it. So this whole problem is going to be because they're clogging up the cilia. Cilia is a minute, tiny little hairs inside your lungs. You know when you get up in the morning and you're hacking and coughing and everything? Well, that's because the cilia has been cleaning out your lungs. When you anesthetize it with cigarettes or with this crap, this vaping stuff, uh, it can't do anything. So it just fills up and fills up and fills up. 
here's an article, and it's going to be hard to get all the information on it, but you know all of the major countries have biowarfare laboratories. And our government doesn't even hide it anymore. They came out years ago and said, oh, we're opening up a biowarfare lab right outside of Hamilton, Montana. Honest, nothing can ever go wrong, and it would never affect the population. Well, something did go wrong, did affect the population, they closed it down. Daily Star comes out. Explosion rips through Russian lab, where they work on smallpox, Ebola, and the plague. Massive gas explosion. This is what science fiction stories are made out of. There's nothing they can do to, def- to defend against it. It just, boom, and there it goes. I saw another article uh, talking about mass shootings. In the past few months, 53 Americans have died in, in what they call mass shootings, while 40,000 died from complications from obesity. That makes you think, doesn't it? Real quickly, under the health department here, I want to uh, include some data for you guys. These are some of the big things that are going to be happening, and it happens to all humans, unfortunately. you got throat treatments, cough treatments, and sinus treatments. Your throat gets sore. Now, this happened to me, and it happens to a, a lot of radio hosts. Your throat gets sore, and you don't know what to do with it. Let me tell you some tricks. There's, it's a three-step thing. First thing you do is you gargle with hydrogen peroxide. doesn't matter what kind, 50 cents a bottle, it doesn't matter. You gargle with it, you spit it out, you don't drink it. Then you take another tablespoon or so and you gargle again, and then swish it around inside your mouth. What you're doing is killing all the pathogen in your, in your mouth and in your throat. Then you gargle and rinse with hot salt water. The hydrogen peroxide kills all the buggers, the hot salt water strips them out. So you gargle twice with hot salt water. Then you spray your throat, with any throat spray, it doesn't matter. The cheapest stuff works. You want it as high in phenol, P-H-E-N-O-L. You want as high in phenol as possible. Now, what the phenol does is it anesthetizes your throat. So you gargle hydrogen peroxide, hot salt water, and then spray with a high phenol spray. Now, for the th- cough treatment, the coughing is, is something different because it can be. there are many variables why you would cough. But we carry a product called Old Indian Cherry Bark Syrup. This is not light, lightweight cough syrup. This is strong stuff. I have used this. Uh, Vinny from uh, from USA Prepares, from the GCN Network, he's usually a friend of mine. I sent him a bottle. It handles coughs. This is big-time, powerful stuff. Old Indian Cherry Bark Syrup. You take about two teaspoons every four hours or so. Me, I just pick the bottle up and take a slug. So it's Old Indian Cherry Bark Syrup. You can call us and find out about it. Or you go to the website and you can see it there, se1.us. Now for sinus treatment, you use our oregano oil. If, if you have oregano oil of anybody else's, you can try that as well. But here's what you do. You have a coffee cup half full of boiling water. Now if you're using our oregano oil, you put a drop in there. And I say a drop. I don't mean two drops. I mean a drop. Anybody else's oregano oil, you can put two to five drops in. But you put a drop in. You don't need to stir it. If the water's b- boiling, if it's that hot, you put a drop in, cover your head with a towel. Then you inhale through your mouth and out your nose, and then you do it in your nose, out your mouth. The first breaths you take, you're going to cough, gag, and cuss at me. But it'll calm down, and then after a few minutes, you're going to have to blow your nose because this is going to strip everything out of there. And it's going to get the oregano oil deep in the sinus cavities to where you can be protected. That's the important thing. 
So throat treatment, hydrogen peroxide, hot salt water, and spray with a high phenol throat spray. Go to Walmart. Good luck. All right, let us get into the category of Islam. Remember me telling you about how there was a Muslim that tinkered with the plane and got caught and arrested, and he said, oh, it's because I wanted to have overtime? What idiot amongst us would believe that? Oh, Democrats, of course. So there was a flight from Atlanta on the same airlines, and they started to have some problems, so the pilot did a forced dive, a plunge of nearly 30,000 feet, because he wanted to get down where oxygen was. He was worried that somebody had had, uh, sabotaged the plane. So literally... Uh, they just uh, they just dove as fast as they could when the plane started to malfunction. And nobody had done anything, but there are so many Muslims now working in infrastructure throughout the United States that people are starting to freak out. Oh, the, the uh, Women's March. This is this racist, hateful, disgusting group. They hate men, they hate Americans, they hate uh, conservatives, they hate Trump, they, you know, they hate everyone but themselves. In fact, they hate themselves as well. So they, they, they put a person, they, Linda Sarsour was head of it. She is a racist Muslim, hates America, hates conservative, hates, hates whites. Well, they kicked her off because she was making them look bad. So they hired, a, uh, they hired somebody else named Zahra Bilou, who is a Muslim that hates whites, hates Jews, hates America. She's executive director of Council on American-Islamic Relations, which is a, a Muslim organization that hates whites, hates Jews, hates America. So now they've got to kick her off. Do you think someday they'll put two and two together? That Muslim equals hatred of America I, I don't I don't think so. I don't think so because people in America are stupid enough to actually vote Muslims into position into politics. And they like uh Tlaib. Uh, she's uh from one of the states that have seceded from the American from the United States of America. Uh she's from Michigan. Rashida Tlaib. The Democrats want District of Columbia. Washington District of Columbia. They want that to be a state they have for 50 years now. Well, D.C., District of Columbia, is District of Columbia. It's not some uh, a place that can be uh, brought into the United States because it's a foreign nation. But they keep pretending that everybody there needs to be in the United States. Well, that would give them a voting block because 90% of the people that live in Washington, D.C. are black. And I think 75% of those are on welfare. So these are the people they want in their voting block, of course. Representative Talib took one of these 50 flags with 51 stars. They were putting up people, obviously Democrats, always, were putting up flags all throughout D.C. with 51 stars on them. So she took one of them and she put it, put it outside her congressional office to show her support for making District of Columbia a state. It, it is so ludicrous what's occurring. In, in, in the U.K., okay, so you get these Muslims that come from all kinds of different parts of the world, and there's a lot of Muslims come from Asia. And in Asia, they eat dogs and cats. So Parliament decided they want to make a ban on eating dogs and cats in the UK. And the liberals there talked them out of it because it might offend Muslims. This is a psychosis that just 
goes on. It's like it's like the Energizer rabbit. It just goes on and on and on. Speaking of psychosis, Democrats. I got. I'm, we're we're going into liberal psychosis now, and and I've decided to define their party like a dictionary would. This is the party of intolerance, anger, hate, and fear. You know, the, I mean, you can understand why. It's it's. I don't need to explain it. California has decided to add Iowa to its travel ban. California has banned like a half a dozen or a dozen states because, I don't know, some states are more saner than others. Because Iowa has, has decided to ref- refuse to fund gender transitions. This is when a sexual pervert wants to pretend they're a different gender. Uh, a funny little thing here, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, he's a uh, he's a pervert. Him and his husband are are running for president, and he's upset because you know there, there's a special media, there's special newspapers and magazines and actual television stations for perverts, and they're all saying they don't like him because he's he's not gay enough, or some of them say he's too gay to get elected because they're dropping like flies now. These these uh, Democrats for president. We have the most disgusting things happening in schools all throughout the world, especially in the civilized nations like England. Now the British Broadcasting is saying that there are over 100 genders. They're teaching this in school. There's a video series called Teach, and this is what they're teaching. They're teaching that there is over 100 different genders. There's no longer man and woman. There's now all kinds of weird creatures out there. And they're being taught this now. This is what you do. You teach them as children. And then when they grow up, it's easier for them to be become perverts or to allow perversion in their, in their area, in their space, you know. Allow their children to become perverts. Allow pervert teachers and, and scout leaders to practice on them. Oh, Baltimore a restaurant is opening in Baltimore. And they uh, put a uh, sign on the door. Strictly prohibited, excessively baggy clothing, offensive, vulgar, or inappropriate attire, athletic attire, brimless headgear, backwards or sideways hats, sunglasses after dark, no children or young adults after uh, 10 p.m. So this is on their door and they're getting feedback. (laughs) It's from Baltimore, of course. Feedback, bad feedback. Oh, people are going crazy. That's racist. That's hateful. That's divisive. That's this. That's that. It's like so disgusting. It's ridiculous. I got the same thing. I told people to their face, pull your pants up. I'm not going to allow it. Williams College has decided they want to have a science and technology symposium, but uh, only for scholars of color. No whites need to apply. The thing that gets me now—they're going to be—they're going to get in trouble, and they're going to get slapped down for for saying this and doing this. They should not even think of doing this. This is again the Democrats' party of intolerance. They can't tolerate Christians. They can't tolerate whites. They can't tolerate men. But a couple of them just won in Arizona Supreme Court, uh, a win for religious freedom. They—they're artists, and they make—they uh, make notes and cards. And some sexual perverts came to them and said, "We want you to make invitations for my for our wedding." And they said, "I'm sorry, we don't, but we can." But there are people out here that will. Here's a list of people that you can go to. Well, they got sued for discrimination, and they won in court. 
So that's a plus point. Oh, another uh, another communist bit the bit the dirt. De Blasio pulled out of the race for presidency. You know, the commie mayor of New York City. The news of Justin Trudeau and his blackface thing. Have you heard about this? First, I heard rumors that there was Justin Trudeau had pictures that he uh, wore blackface when he was in high school for some performance. And then I saw a picture of him wearing brown face and a turban for, for something else. Well, it turns out he's an elitist, right? Trudeau is an elitist. So they can do everything they want to do, and it's okay because they're doing it, and everybody knows they don't do it with bad intention. So he's got, so far, five different times he's caught wearing blackface or brownface and dramatizing being a black man or an, or a, an Indian. Now, another another black racist does the same thing that they do a lot, which is mar- they spray-painted racial slurs all over his business, swastikas and MAGA, and then acted like uh, somebody had robbed his, his business. Now, he was a former NFL player, uh, Edon Lewis Cogman, and it's called pulling a smollet and <laughs> faking a hate crime. He got caught, but they keep doing it. They do it over and over and over again. Colt Firearms, the company that is still, they haven't found their footing for the past 20 years, filed for bankruptcy. They're not even owned by an American firm anymore. It's, it's all foreign investments. As decided, they came out. Big news. Now, this is not for gun owners and not for people who, who are in the know of firearms manufacturing. They come out and said, we're suspending production of AR-15 for the civilian market. First, you're going to say, well, those bastards. But then you got to think for a second. There are 200 other companies making AR-15s in the United States right now. Colt is so expensive, nobody's buying Colt anyway. So they make a big politically correct push to be on the good side of the communists and socialists and Democrats in the United States. They're stopping production of AR-15 for civilian markets. Let me tell you about Ruger. A little story about Ruger. Ruger Firearms came out with this thing. They they make the Mini 14, a 223 caliber rifle that takes an extended that takes a, a magazine. Well, they come out and said we're no longer going to be make manufacturing the folding stock for the civilian market. The pushback was so hard they lost 50% of the value of their stock for daring to violate the Second Amendment. It was so bad that old man Ruger hired this guy to write a book on the history of Ruger and how great Ruger was and is for the Second Amendment. And the guy that wrote the book, and this is, this is the funny, sad part. I was at the Pomona Gun Show right after this happened. I was part of it. I had the Ruger uh, rep threaten to sue me in court because I rented a whole table at the Pomona Gun Show, which has 15,000 tables, the largest gun show in the western United States. And I put a Ruger folding stock on it. I put the letter that Ruger had wrote to the Democrats, who are anti-gun, about how he is going to no longer manufacture the folding stock and sell it to civilians, nor will he sell any magazine Ruger magazines other than the five-round magazine to any civilian gun shops. 
I put that letter right there, and then I put a little dissertation I wrote about this next to it. And uh, the Ruger the rep threatened to sue me for slander. I said, really? Can you misprove? Can you disprove anything that I have written here? Well, no. Yeah, you're right. Get the hell out of here. Anyway, a year later, here's this guy at the Pomona Gun Show selling this nice, thick, it's two inches thick, heavy, hardback book on the history of Ruger. And I look through it, and I'm finding all of this mentioned about how he's he's uh, pro Second Amendment and great th- this and great that. Nowhere in it is it doesn't mention this BS. So I asked the guy. I said, "Did you hear about the uh, snafu with the folding stock?" He goes, "No. What are you talking about?" <laughs> I showed him the letter. He closed up his table, put all the books in the box, and he left. And the last I heard, he was they settled out of court because he was suing Ruger Storm Ruger for fraud. But I, from what I heard, they settled out of court. Uh, let's see. A Georgia homeowner of three thugs kicked his door in. Well, they attacked him. And, 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 and I don't know the whole story because it's happened at four in the morning. Three thugs wearing uh, hoods started shooting. He comes outside with an AR-15, kills all three of them. Oh, well. You know, years ago, we were thinking of of uh, moving to New Zealand because it had really lax firearms laws and it didn't have a whole lot of uh, communists there. That's changed. Now they've banned all semi-automatic firearms in New Zealand, almost every single one. And if you don't turn them in, turn them in, you can go to jail for five years. That's New Zealand. That's going to be the United States. It already is certain areas in it. Now, there, the red flag laws that we see all over the place, and they're getting worse and worse and worse. And, and, and the concept of the red flag laws. And what is a red flag law? Red flag law is where if somebody thinks that you're a danger to yourself or to someone else, they can turn you in and law enforcement will come and take your firearms from you to keep you safe. If you piss off your brother-in-law, well, he can call the police and say, I think he's going to commit suicide. Or if you, for some stupid reason, you're conservative and you marry a Democrat, truly believing that politics doesn't matter, and you piss her off someday, she'll call the police and say, my husband threatened to shoot me. Boom. You just lost your firearms and you're never going to be able to get them back and you're not going to be able to buy any more. That's what red flag logs are. Tucker interviewed uh, Representative Ken Buck and he had something very very profane, profound, (laughs) to say about these. It's not a good idea, but if you're going to pass a law like that, you might want to apply it to, say, gang members who are responsible for the overwhelming majority of gun murders in this country. But they don't want that. Congressman Ken Buck is a Republican from Colorado. He introduced an amendment that would apply a red flag to those gang members on databases. But the Democrats voted it down. Congressman Buck joins us. Now, Congressman, thanks so much for coming on. First, tell us why you introduced this. Why would you want a red flag law, if we pass one, to apply to gang members? First, I don't want to pass one. But second, right, if, exactly. if, if it passes, it should apply to the most dangerous people in America, the most dangerous people with guns in America. Over 80% of the murders in America uh, with guns are committed by gang members. Over 90% of the crime in America is committed by gang members. If we aren't tar- targeting gang members, we aren't serious about gun violence in America. You make such a, it's such a compelling and obvious point that you're making. How could anybody possibly be for a red flag law 
that doesn't apply to gang members. Well, for one thing, I think the Democrats are trying to disarm rural America. And, and yeah. the second thing, I think that uh, they aren't serious about gun violence. Um, if they were serious, they would target these particular individuals. And, and third, they don't trust law enforcement to create a gang database that is fair. And their really hatred for law enforcement is evident in, in voting down this amendment. But they trust law enforcement to go to the homes of law-abiding citizens and seize their firearms. Absolutely. And in fact, we haven't heard anything about no-knock warrants. We haven't heard anything about the process that law enforcement can use uh, to take law-abiding citizens' uh, weapons away from them. But that's exactly what the Democrats want to do. And they will be pitting honest citizens against uh, law enforcement. And law enforcement, in, in many instances, my home county, they don't want to enforce these laws. But they really got their hackles up when you suggested this would apply to gang members. It's almost as if they see gang members as a critical constituency. You know, I, I have to tell you, they, they certainly see urban America is a critical constituency, and there is much sympathy in urban America for some uh, gang members. When you're a victim of crime, you don't have much sympathy for gang members, but, I but think these that's politicians right. do. I think that's right, and I think there are a lot of people living in cities who probably need to have firearms at home to protect themselves. Absolutely. By now, we all know that one of the communists running for president on a Democratic ticket it was Beto O'Rourke. And he had come out and he had said, hell yes, we're coming after your guns. And just to paraphrase, well, there was a town hall meeting and a woman showed up there who had a different take on what he was or wasn't going to do. And Fox and Friends uh, got the clip and they played it and then they had a a few words about it afterwards. I am here to say hell no, you're not. I have four children, I'm five foot zero, 100 pounds, cannot really defend myself with a fist. I want to know how you're going to legislate that because a criminal by defense breaks the law. So all you're going to do is restrict law-abiding citizens like myself. So hell no, you're not going to take her gun. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Listen, this is what happened when you bring truth and facts to an emotional support debate or an emotional support rally. I get it. I understand. People are heartbroken, and most of those people are very ignorant to what guns are, how they're used, and what laws and policies already govern them, and more importantly, where we're already falling short. My question to Beto would be much shorter. Okay, you've explained very well how you're going to try to take guns away from law-abiding citizens. Now tell us how you're going to take guns away from criminals and killers. And then you would hear a long pause. You would hear some sort of stuttering and he would probably tell you a story about how he's sorry he's a privileged young man growing up or something. Right. He wants reparations for pot smokers. He also... uh, (laughs) Seriously? Yes. Reparations for pot smokers. (laughs) And he wants uh, all assault weapons out and he's willing to have law enforcement who he's vilified go do it. He doesn't know what he wants out. Uh, He's also questioned on Well, actually, you know, in Columbine, these weapons weren't used. Would you expand it? Of course, he says yes, because he doesn't know what these weapons are, how they're used. He doesn't understand them. He's ignorant. And ignorance is not a way to govern. I don't care what the issue is, if it's abortion, guns, the economy. You can't govern through ignorance and simply appeal to emotion. I would say the same thing to President Trump on issues that I might disagree with him on. A leader is measured. They do their research. They understand the complexities of an issue. And they take their time to propose a solution that might work. store politician appeals and appeases and that's what we see in Beto and that's why his days are absolutely numbered in this in this campaign and there's the majority of Americans are saying the same thing to these communists you can't sorry hell no you're not taking my guns one of the other one of the other candidates for the Democrat presidential ticket is Joe Biden uh, creepy Joe and he just can't quite 
the, the concept of numbers and statistics and, well, even reality seems to escape him. I, I heard him say this. You get a tax break for a racehorse. Why in God's name couldn't we provide a $8,000 tax credit for everybody who has child care costs? It would put $720 million back in the workforce. It would increase the GDP to sound like a wonk here by about eight-tenths of one percent. It would grow the economy. Considering we have a little over 300 million uh, people in the United States, uh, uh, where is he going to get 720 million more to put back in the workforce? I don't know. There was an article on Greenland, and it wasn't about how President Trump wanted to buy it. It was... uh, and you, you hear this all the time. You hear, oh, this is going to, we're going to be all dying in three years and everything's going to hell in two and a half years and this and that. And we were told that the ice, and I remember this article, the ice is withdrawing in Greenland and soon Greenland will not be green, Greenland anymore. Well, it, it was named Greenland because it was all green. And then the ice came in and now they're saying it's going to go away. Well, here's the thing. It's, it's not. There's so much weird stuff going on with this, the reporting from this. The ice covering Greenland is becoming denser. What's happening is the ice is expanding, not width-wise, depth. And it's becoming uh, denser. Instead of being, instead of having the consistency of snow to where water could soak through it, it's now becoming hard as, as uh, well, as ice. So, as the snow melts from the top of it, it's running off of it into the ocean. So now, now the climate change crew are claiming that because of this, uh, we're going to all be underwater within the next, you know, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, three years. You know, I got something here and everybody's, everybody is talking about this, but I'm going to. There is, since I was a kid, I've been hearing how something is going to destroy us, something is going to affect us, something's going to wipe out population. Let me read some of these to you. This is the this is the the year and what they what they predicted in 1969, and these are all Democrats, every single one of them. 1969, smog will kill everyone by 1989. Okay, in 1970, an ice age will be starting by 2001. Also in 1970, water and food rationing will begin in 1974. 72, Ice Age, 71, an Ice Age coming, 72, an Ice Age coming, 74, an Ice Age coming, 74 also, the ozone. Remember this, the ozone hole? And that's what prompted uh, the government to get rid of R12 and replace it, you know, the refrigerant, and replace it with something else. Well, there's a long story behind that. In 76, Ice Age coming. Also in 76, acid rain will kill all the food crops. 78, oh, here comes another Ice Age. Uh, 88, world drought in the 90s. 88, uh, kind of warm uh, global warming, but only during the summers. 88, ocean is going to rise enough to cover all the islands on Earth. 89, rising seas to wipe out nations. 2000, global warming. 2004, UK to be like Siberia by 2020. 2008, Arctic will be ice-free by 2013. And you can thank Al Gore for that. 
2009, the world will end in eight years. 2014, the planet dies by 2016. See, this is the, this is the, uh, this is why I say that the Democrats are the party of intolerance, anger, hate, and fear. Let's see, cheerleader. Oh, we're under Trump now, right? So cheerleaders were placed on probation. They did something really, really heinous. They just before a football game in North Carolina, uh, North Stanley High, they got in 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 a position and they held up a sign that said Trump for 2020. Now, if it had been a sign that said trans rights or human rights or something like that, everything would be fine. Uh, or if it said Obama for 2020. Instead, they got put on probation because they would dare to show something like that. That is so evil. Isn't that awful? That is, that is disgustingly evil. So as long as it, it has to do with anything other than an American or uh, white or Christian or sane, uh, you, you forget it. One of the good things that came out this week, Trump, and I, I said this last week, Trump has put in over 150 uh, judges throughout the United States, including the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit is the court that all the Democrats, they uh, shop for them, in other words, they go to them and say, we want, well, we want you to hear this case and then put a hold on it for us so that we can protect the United States against these evil conservatives. And the Ninth District Court has always said, yes, we'll go with you. They're very radical. They're, I mean, this is, they are the most radical court in the United States. Trump has over 13 of the 29 active seats on the court are now conservatives. So we've got a chance. As long as he keeps, keeps doing what he's doing and we keep getting more conservative judges in, and these are lifetime appointments, by the way, uh, we, we have a chance in the future, even if a, a communist does get elected again. Now, here's something that'll raise the hackles on the back of your neck. You know, there's a, these websites where you can go and bet on everything, everything from uh, which car will be will will be shown in 2021 to be the best four-wheel drive, uh, who's going to be uh, win the Democratic nomination for 2020, uh, what, how many books will come out next year. I mean, all of the, everything weird. Well... Speaking of who's going to win the Democrat nomination, uh, Hillary Clinton's in the lead. Yeah, that's just scary. What also is scary is that Trump is he's a kind of signaling that he's, he's willing to go ahead with gun control, maybe uh, universal background checks. You know, that means private party sales would be illegal in the United States. And, you know, it could be that he's just trolling these the Democrats. You know, he's, it could be he's just uh, baiting them and letting them do their reactions and think, well, maybe he's starting to see sanity finally. <laughs> or maybe it's not. You know, we, we won't know, but I can tell you this. If, if he in any way, shape, or form puts forth gun control other than just uh, enforce what we have now, he won't have another term. And there'll be a communist in the White House in 2021. There's no question about it. The, po- the population of the United States is not for gun control. And we're getting hammered with lies and fraud 
from the mainstream media that say everything from 73% of the population want gun control or 87% want gun control or 93% want gun control. They're all fraudulent. Every single one of these polls that they're doing is fraudulent. And we know that. But the sheep that vote Democrat believe anything they're told. We'll we'll have to see what happens. I, I don't know what else to say. What I'm doing each week is giving you one precept from the booklet Way to Happiness by Lafayette Hubbard. Uh, there are 21 precepts. Now, what, what's a precept? A precept is a guiding principle or a rule that's used to control, influence, guide, or regulate conduct. If you learned all of these 21 precepts and you followed them best you can, we wouldn't have most of the headlines that we have now in the news. So last week we did number one, which is take care of yourself. And if you want to hear about it, go listen to last week's show. This week is number two. Be temperate. Now, what does temperate mean? Temperate is moderate or self-restrained, not extreme in opinion, statement, actions, etc. So, number two is be temperate, and there's two sections to it. Section one, don't take harmful drugs. Understand the words, harmful drugs. Now, of course, some of you out there, and, well, me also, would pretty much say all drugs are harmful. But regardless, there's very specific reasons behind all of these words. Do not take harmful drugs. People who take drugs do not always see the world in front of them. They're not really there. On a highway, in casual contact, in a home, they can be very dangerous to you. People mistakenly believe they feel better or act better or are only happy when on drugs. This is just another delusion. Sooner or later, the drugs will destroy them physically. Discourage people from taking drugs. When they're doing so, encourage them to seek help in getting off of them. I had a friend in high school who took drugs. Now, this guy was kind of a wacko. He tested everything. Every He believed that everything known to man could uh, give him a high. He didn't just smoke marijuana or take LSD or take drop acid or, or anything like that. This guy was nuts. He, he, one time, you know those Vicks inhalers you'd stick up your nose and inhale? He even heard that the ingredients inside of there are hallucinogenic, so he cut one in half and ate it. Well, that put him in a hospital. He was a nice guy, but he was known through everyone. Everyone in, in school knew that this guy couldn't be trusted. This guy was dangerous. Uh, this guy, you never ride with him in his car. You never go over to his house. You never do anything because... He's on drugs, and they have screwed up his his whole system. The second part, do not take alcohol to excess. People who take alcohol are not alert. It impairs their ability to react even when it seems to them they're more alert because of it. Alcohol has some medicinal value. It can be grossly overestimated, though. Don't let anyone who has been drinking drive you in a car or fly you in a plane. And this is sad because Now, at least twice a week, and I've been monitoring this, a pilot, a school bus driver, a taxi cab driver, a cop are being arrested for being drunk on duty. Just this morning, there was a guy, a little kid, he was seven years old, he called 911 and said, um, and I forgot the name, Charlotte, Miss Charlotte is is, uh, drunk, she's weaving all over the road. He's on a school bus. And he called 911 because of that. Drinking can take lives in more ways than one. 
A little liquor goes a long way. Don't let too much of it wind up in an unhappiness or death. Deter people from excessive drinking. If you haven't figured it out, the way to happiness is not just a guide on how you should act. It shows you that you have the right to require these in the people around you because everybody's actions around you can affect you in a positive or negative manner. I've stopped people from driving. I didn't even know the guy. I was at a bar years ago, and it was a cowboy bar in um, outside Carmichael, California. And there was this guy. He was loud and uh, obnoxious, not overly so, just, you know, cowboy. He was just drinking pitcher after pitcher of uh, cheap beer. I think you call it Budweiser. And after about 11 o'clock, he's... he's uh, He's, he's toast. <laughs> this guy can barely move. So he starts walking out the do- front door, and he's got his keys in his hands, and he smacks into the side of the doorpost and backs up and reaches. He, he can't get the doorknob. And I uh, I told the bartender, I said, call a cab. She goes, you know the guy? I said, no, but you know me. Call a cab. So I went over to the guy. I said, bud, I'm not going to let you go kill yourself. So you just wait in here. I got a cab called for you. And he said, uh, you can't tell me what, and I had to, I took his keys out of his hands, and I just picked him up and put him over in the corner and said, don't you just wait here, and uh, there, there'll be a cab driver here real quick. Don't worry about it. And then one of the girls, I mean, the guy is like five foot nine or something, and he looked like he wanted to get in a fight with me. I didn't mind because I was saving his life. Well, one of the girls I was playing pool decided to, to kind of ease everything out so she comes walking over and says honey just i'll wait with you don't worry about it so she took his attention off of me and five minutes later here's a a cab the guy walks in he's bigger than me i'm 6'2 250 pounds i look like a midget to this guy he walks in and he goes this guy and i said yep he goes give me his keys so i gave him his keys he walks over puts his arm around him and just guides him to the door like you would a little poodle Sometimes you got to do what you got to do because if you don't do it, someone can die. So you pay attention to what's happening around you. And if somebody is, uh, has embedded too much, either drugs or alcohol, realize they're a possible liability to you at that point. We didn't have the time to go really in-depth on how to buy a firearm last show. So that's what I'm going to do now. Now, first off, make sure you're trained. Don't think you're trained, okay? Make sure you're trained. Go to a local range, go in a class with an NRA certified instructor. It's, it's real simple. Make sure that you're, you're fully aware of what you're doing. Now, here's the key. You need to determine your purpose. What do you want a firearm for? You want it for self-defense? You want it for hunting? You want it for training purposes? You know, target practice, that kind of stuff. Uh, do you want it for collecting? Firearms are like gold. They often go up in value. Not all the time. Many times, firearms, if kept in original mint condition, go up in value. There's a lot of variables to it. Some guns, doesn't matter if mint condition or not, like an 1873 Colt revolver. It doesn't matter how bad cosmetic it is. It's still worth thousands and thousands of dollars. So first thing you need to do is figure out, what do I want this gun for? Let's say you decide you want it for for self-defense. Well, there's more to it than just that. Self-defense of what? In your house, in an apartment, uh, in city travel, like you're going to be going out on the city. Business location, like you've got a store. 
going up into woods, concealed carry, these are all considered self-defense. So you need to determine what you want. Okay, from there, you know, we're, we're just staying with self-defense here. From there, there are different variables. Some people like handguns, some people like shotguns. Personally, for home defense, I'm going to have a pump shotgun, and I talked about that prior, because just the sound of cranking that pump, that sound is going to scare the hell out of anybody. I don't care if they've ever heard a shotgun before. They're going to hear that sound, and they know something metallic is uh, charging up and getting ready. I remember years ago, we, my wife and I, were parked in a trailer on a lot in Phoenix, Arizona, right across the street from the dog track. And it was middle of the night, pitch black, and I had to go to the store. So my wife's at home with the baby, uh, Eric, but she had my shotgun. Now, Angie's kind of scatterbrained, so she couldn't figure out how to load it, but it was still there. Right after I left, I mean within minutes, there was a knocking on the door and somebody saying, Hey, can I come in and use your phone? And my wife's like, you got to be out of your freaking mind. She picked the shotgun up, shotgun up, and she just went clank, clank. And all she heard was footprints running down the street. That's the good thing about it. I'm not saying never load it. I'm just saying that's what I like a, a pump shotgun for because it impresses. It's a deterrent. And that's what you, that's what is vital is to be able to deter somebody so that they don't do anything wrong. Unfortunately, nowadays, the people, they think they're invincible and they think that nothing bad will ever happen to them. So you, you chamber around into your pump shotgun, they'll dare you to shoot them. Don't, unless they're threatening you. Now, let's say, now that's just for your house or your apartment. So there's a pump shotgun. Now, pump shotguns, I can tell you right now, uh, some stores around have hell of deals on them. Like Big Five or uh, Cabela's sometimes, uh, Black Sheep here in town, Walmart. Just look for your ads. Do your do your due diligence, and this is the important thing. Don't get snagged with this uh, impulse buying. It happens all the time. I, I've had friends do it, and they bought thousand dollar guns, and then turn around and didn't like them. And when they went to sell them, they, they, they thought in their head they're going to get their $1,000 back. No, they ended up selling them for like seven dollars $800. So don't impulse buy a firearm. unless Now, this is the thing. Unless that's what you want to do. That's the important thing. Now, if you're going to be doing traveling, you don't want a shotgun. First off, traveling, you got it's, it's kind of touchy. You know, Some states don't allow you to have a, a loaded firearm in a car. Some states... You can't cross the state line with a, with a firearm. You know, like my grandpa used to tell me, never let the law get in the way of common sense. So if you're going to travel, I don't recommend a pump shotgun. I would recommend at that point a handgun. And you'll have to determine whether you want a revolver or a semi-automatic handgun. In a business location, the biggest, nastiest thing you can get your hands on. You want to scare the hell out of them. A nickel-plated Colt 45 works perfect. Because you can pick it up and show it to them, and they'll look at it and go, oh, my God, that's a gun. But that's up to you. In the woods, you want something with a large caliber. You don't want a little pea shooter twenty two unless you're looking to, to shoot rabbits or squirrels or something. So when I when I used to go hiking, I carried a three fifty seven Magnum. It's light enough that I could carry it without worrying about it and having too much excess weight 
Yet it'll drop a deer. And I've seen 357 Magnums take down a black bear too. So you need to figure out what it's for. That's your purpose, right? Now, if you're going to go hunting, if you say, well, I don't want it for self-defense. I already, I already got something for that. I want, a, I want a hunting gun. What are you going to hunt? Because if you're just going to hunt squirrels, you don't want a 300 Win Mag. So you've got to determine. Firearms are tools, generally. So you need to determine which tool you want to use for what job. So you need to determine which animals that you're going to hunt mostly. And then you're going to need to determine the distance of the shot. I went hunting with my uh, relatives years ago, and everybody was carrying bolt-action 300 wind mag or 30-06 with a 3-to-9 power scope on it, and I carried a lever-action 33, th- I'm sorry, a lever-action 30-30 with just iron sights on it. And my uncle said, why, why don't you have a scope on your gun? I said, because we won't see a deer, but maybe 100 feet from us, and that's it. That scope's not going to do us either of us any good. Iron sights, it'll do just perfect. Because that's where we were hunting. It was so so woodsy. You, you're not going to see a deer, but maybe 100 feet max. You also, uh, this is part of what's the necessary caliber. It's like Remington 700 bolt-action rifles. They make them in like seven different calibers, eight different calibers. So you have to determine what you're going to be hunting. If you're going to be hunting 150-pound white-tailed deer, you don't need a 300 wind mag. You'll tear a hole out of that meat. So something like a 3030 be perfect and i'll tell you a secret the sks or ak-47 shoots a 7.62 by 39 round it's the exact same muzzle velocity uh and and potency as a 3030 so a 7.62 by 39 and a 3030 is for all intents and purposes the same bullet now you're going to be hunting in the woods you're going to be hunting uh, on flatlands see if you're in wyoming where you can see 10 miles, yeah, you're going to want a good scope. Now, here's the other thing, and this is the one thing people don't think about. You're going to carry this thing 99% of the time. You're going to shoot it 1% of the time. My uh, cousin bought a bull barrel, custom-made 300 Winchester Magnum with a, a fiberglass stock and a Bushnell bipod on it. The thing would drive a tack at a thousand yards but it weighed 15 pounds but that's what he wanted to carry i like my eight pound winchester 3030 yeah let's see so uh, that's the hunting aspect now again if you're just going to be hunting squirrels a 22 works just fine even a 223 will work just fine you're not going to have a lot of meat left unless you unless you do a headshot with a 223. But uh, 22, oh, by the way, just for those of you who don't know, you're going to hear a lot of a lot of BS from the communists out there, especially the commies that are running for, Demo- they're going to be uh, president, they want to be president next year, about how devastating and, and hard-hitting these uh, M- <laughs> AR-15 rounds are. An AR-15 round is basically a .223. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you have a .22, that's .22, and it's a little short bullet. A .223 bullet is the same exact diameter as a .22. It's just beefier and longer. So, 
they're basically blowing it out their sphincters when they don't know what they're talking about, but they're trying to impress the other idiots out there who don't know what they're talking about either. Now, if you're going to be hunting, uh, now I hunted squirrels. I sometimes I hunted with a 22, but most of the time it was with a 410 shotgun because it was close in. I hunted quail with a 410 shotgun, and that's a, pretty much the lightest shotgun you're going to find. So, if you're hunting birds, that's the easiest thing to use is a shotgun, unless you're real damn good with a rifle. But you know, th- there's a thing. There's two ends to a bullet, where it starts and where it ends when you shoot it. That's what I'm talking about. It starts in your gun, and you don't know where it's going to end. And that's a problem when you're shooting up. Uh, you can ask the Muslims in the Middle East when they're shooting up. They have hundreds of deaths yearly because they shoot up. When they get excited, they shoot up. They aim up, and they shoot their gun, and they just can't can't come to terms with the gravity that draws that bullet straight down through their head. So I like uh, a shotgun. A shotgun's good. And a shotgun, you can get single shot. Are those 100 bucks? You just a uh, little lever, you click it, and the barrel falls forward, and you put a round in, and you straighten it out, and you have one round you shoot. It's great for kids because they're not going to go Rambo shooting a whole bunch of, uh, of rounds, which are not cheap anymore. Now, shotguns, they also had lever action shotguns, and they have pump shotguns and semi automatic shotguns. So, those are different types of uh, weapons. Uh, for hunting, and then for training, most of the time, if you're teaching somebody from scratch, you're going to be using a 22 caliber pistol, and those would be a semi-automatic pistol because they're the easiest thing to use, especially in a 22 caliber. They're more, much more accurate, but you have both. You have the semi-automatic and you have the revolver. Now, the revolver, uh, you have a cylinder that holds six to ten rounds depends on the on the manufacturer but the cylinder is what i would refer to as idiot proof you pull the trigger and it goes bang a semi-automatic handgun you have to pull the slide back and i'll give you guys a secret and i i used to teach self-defense to women and a lot of women can't grab let's take a 1911 a1 colt 45 semi-automatic handgun you would be holding it in your right hand Obviously, none of your fingers are in the trigger housing. They're pointed straight ahead. The, the index finger is pointed straight ahead. And with your left hand, a man would pull, grab the slide, hold the frame with the right hand so it doesn't move, pull the slide all the way back, and let go, and that's how you would chamber around. Well, a lot of people can't do that. Not just women, but a lot of people can't do that. So here is a secret. You're doing it bass backwards. You hold the firearm, like I said. Now, it doesn't matter if it's a Colt 1911A1 or a Glock or an H&K or a Sig Sauer or a Taurus or a Beretta or I don't care, any of this. You hold the, 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 the gun with your right hand, not extended, just halfway out, right? And then you reach over with your left hand, you grasp the slide, you hold the slide, and you push the frame forward. In other words, you hold the slide with your left hand, and using your right hand, you push it forward. And you push the bottom part of the pistol forward enough, eventually it'll slip out of your left hand, and the slide will go and chamber around. So instead of pulling the slide back, you hold the slide and you push the frame forward. Try it sometime. It's so much easier to chamber around. 
All right. Uh, so training would be 22 is what I recommend. I trained on a 38. 38 revolver is what I trained on uh, originally. But there are other different firearms. As a matter of fact, you can also train on, on uh, pellet rifles and pellet pistols. Those you can shoot generally in the city, like in the house or something. You know, they're not really loud, and they're not going to punch holes through the walls. So the, tr- the training, it, it depends on you, how you want to do it. Training would d- not just be a pistol, it would be a twenty-two rifle. And I recommend, well, the first rifle I ever bought, Eric, was a, called a cricket. It was just about as long as my arm. But when you got a six-year-old boy and you put this single-shot bolt-action rifle to his shoulder, it looks like it's made for a child. And it is. Very short. Very short rifle. Single shot. And that's what you want. You don't want anybody going Rambo. Uh, Rambo, you know that... You don't... Waste of ammunition. So his first gun was a bolt-action, single-shot cricket. And then after that, I got him a Ruger 10-22, which it has a semi-automatic rifle and holds 10 rounds. So you can do, and there's different ones. Uh, Marlin makes a good semi-automatic rifle. And you've got to balance between whether you want a tube fed, and you, you know this barrel, there's a tube runs along the barrel, and you pull out this insert in that tube, and then you drop usually about 12 rounds with the lead aiming up in that tube, and then you push the insert back down, and now you now you can fire. Though the problem with those, the tube-fed weapon, whether it's a twenty-two or a .30-06, it doesn't matter. If you dent that tube, you're SOL. You can't load, and that's that's all you have. From that point on, you have a single-shot ri- rifle because you can only put one round in at a time. The other the other thing is that if you have a magazine fed uh, rifle like a, a 10.22 which takes a 10 round mag and it can take a 20 round and 30 round and 100 round it can take all of these different mags if you lose the mag you, you got a single shot rifle as well so if you're going to buy any rifle any rifle that takes a magazine make sure you buy a dozen at least of spare mags and don't be cheap don't get these $2.99 crap Get the best magazines you can. They could mean your life in either a self-defense mode or uh, food, if you have to go out hunting for food. Now, then we're looking at collecting. So we have defense, hunting, training, now collecting. Collecting is kind of tricky because collecting is buying a firearm on speculation that it might appreciate in value. I can tell you right now, if a gun's 100 150 bucks, it is not going to appreciate that much, maybe 5 bucks. So don't waste your money on buying a whole bunch of cheap guns. And we're talking either revolver, semi-automatic pistol, shotgun, or rifle. You look for quality, and you try and buy... When you, well, when you buy a gun, it comes in a box. Now, believe it or not, that's part of the collector mystique is does it have the paperwork, original paperwork? Does it have the original box? Does it have, you know, all, everything that came with it originally? That'll knock 20% off the value of a firearm if you don't have all of that stuff. But there's variables, and these variables you need to learn if you're going to be buying firearms for uh, collecting. 
And I mentioned this book. It's called Blue Book of Gun Values. And it's got, I'm going to tell you, yeah, it's a very light read. There's only 2,500 pages in it. <laughs> That's how thick it is. And it lists so many different firearms, most people never even knew that they existed. And the funny part is, every gun that's, that's in here, I can tear apart and fix. <laughs> I've done a lot of work on the damn things. So there's a lot of different firearms out there. There are some that are very rare. There are some that are highly collectible because there's maybe 10 to 100 of them ever made. There's some, uh, like Winchester's. To give you an example, an M1 Garand. A mint M1 Garand. This is a 30 out 6 used in World War II and Korea and a little in Nam. A standard Springfield M1 Garand, it's 1000 bucks. If it's all matching Winchester, $2,000. If it's all matching Harrington and Richardson... $2,500 to $3,000. You see the difference? They could be, they could look exactly the same, but you need to know how to tell the difference between the internals and, and you know the, all the other things that go with them. On collecting, don't get sucked into the commemoratives. Winchester comes out with their, their lever action model 94 and they say, okay, this is a John Wayne commemorative. Only a thousand of them made. And a lot of nice engraving on it. It comes with a nice box and all of this. And it was like $500. And people would buy them. And then they'd say, all right, now they're out. They only had a thousand. So I want a thousand dollars for this gun. But then you keep seeing these things for sale at the gun shops, at the gun stores, and from Winchester. So these guns that they claim they're only making a thousand of, they might have five to 10,000 of them out there somewhere. And it's a standard ploy. All the manufacturers do it. Ruger has done it many times. So these Winchester commemoratives, there are yeah, there are people that collect them. But I'll tell you how they collect them. They know what they cost new. When I first got into firearms, I got into the Winchester collectibles. I had like 30 of them. I bought them from a guy who was going out of business and he was retiring. And they're all brand new in the box. I pay $200 a piece. That was a lot of money, I'll tell you that right now. And I'm thinking, wow, these things are worth wow, four or five hundred dollars. The book said they're worth four or five hundred bucks. I carry those around to a half a dozen different gun shows and never sold one. Finally, somebody came up to me and he said, Look, you've been busting your butt trying to sell those damn things. You gotta know the truth. They're not collectibles. They're just pretty guns. You want to get rid of them? The best you're going to get is 250 bucks a piece for them. So finally, I ended up selling them 250 bucks. Sold them all in the next gun show. So you've got to be careful what you buy. If and the more you know about that exact firearm, the better you can do. Take World War II Lugers, German Lugers. You can buy a German Luger. That's a nine millimeter. You can buy a German Luger for. I don't know, three, four hundred bucks. But you'll swear that one sitting on the table that looks exactly like the one you just paid three hundred bucks for is the same gun, yet he's asking twenty nine hundred and somebody's buying it. There are a lot of variables. 
There's a lot of manufacturers internal. Just because the gun says Winchester doesn't mean all the parts inside of it are made by Winchester. They could be made by some other vendor. So you need to know the slight, slight differences in a lot of these collectible firearms. And firearms are valuable depending on models. The first AR-15 to come out by Colt was an SP-1. And it was a simple, uh, thin-barreled, the forearm was triangular-shaped, so it fits your hand fairly decently, semi-automatic rifle. And they were selling for $189. So I bought one. What, what, you know, what the hell? I put it in my closet, forgot about it for 20 years. All of a sudden, that gun's worth $1,000. And that's what I got for it. So it just depends on the firearm and if it's quality. Do not buy garbage. Unless you, you know, unless you were a gunsmith like me, I bought anything. I don't care what it was. It could be a blown up shotgun. I'll buy it because I tear them down and I would use the parts internally. So there's different reasons why you would be buying a firearm. The whole, the whole thing here is knowledge is power, and the more knowledge you have, the more power you can exert over your purchasing habits for firearms. Now, there's more to just what I said than a revolver and a semi-automatic. We're talking, there's, you can go back in time. Flintlocks, cap and balls. A flintlock, you're not going to ever hunt with one of them. I mean, if you want, you could. Cap and ball is a big thing now. Cap and ball is this. It's a muzzle loader. And so, in other words, you load it from the muzzle, you put the powder in, you take a ball, you wrap it in a patch, and you jam it down, and you pack it down, and then you half cock the hammer, and you take a little cap. It's it's like an old stickum cap, or it's a little silver cappy thing, and you put it over the nipple, it's called. And this nipple is something that sticks up about a quarter inch, and it has a hole down the middle of it. And this hole goes directly down into the chamber. The chamber is where the gunpowder is that you just loaded. Now, when you, you cock your hammer, pull the trigger, it hits that cap, sends a spark down. That cap's called a primer. Sends that spark spark down, ignites the gunpowder, and the bullet comes out the other end. That's called a cap and ball. And they have revolvers that way, and they have rifles that way. They even have shotguns that way, but that's just too weird. Now, in a rifles, you have you can start off with a muzzle loader if you ever want to, you know, play in that area. And by the way, there are no real value to modern muzzle loaders. Two hundred year old muzzle loaders—that's a different ball of wax. Then they had something called a falling block. So you'd have this rifle that with a lever. And after you pull that lever down, the top part of the frame literally would either would uh, uh, raise up. And you would slide your bullet into that. And then you'd pull the lever back and it goes back into battery, is what it's called. And then you would fire it. You're never going to see any of those either. So you're going to be, with, with uh, rifles, you're going to be looking at bolt action, which are the more, bolt action rifles are more accurate than other ones. The semi-automatic rifles, they use some of the gases that the cartridge expands to move the action. With a bolt action, you use all the gas to throw that bullet downrange. So you'd be dealing with a bolt action rifle, a lever action rifle, 
a pump. Remington made some pump rifles or semi-automatic rifles. And the shotguns are simple. They're single shot. Lever action. They made some lever action shotguns. In fact, if you, some of the John Wayne movies had him using a lever action shotgun. Pump shotgun, of course, and a semi-automatic shotgun. Now, I, I don't really like the semi-auto shotguns because most of them are too finicky with the ammo. And, and they can jam too easily, and that's that's dangerous. Let's see. Now, again, you got do your research on value. There's there's uh, other books out there that you can get besides the Blue Book of Gun Values. There's the Gun Digest, and if you go to a gun show, you can find guys selling these Gun Digests. They come out every year, and you can pick them up. You, sometimes you can pick them up yard sales for fifty cents. They don't have two thousand pages in them. They probably have maybe three or four hundred. But it gives you a lot of information on value and, and uh, different firearms. So the, the key is to look at is this. What's your purpose for this firearm? Then you need to look at how easy is it going to be for me to get parts to repair this firearm. Granted, most firearms now have lifetime warranties on them. But if the Schumer hits the fan, you ain't sending it nowhere. And if you break a firing pin or... or you run out of magazines, you can't get magazines, well, you're screwed. So how easy, that gun you just bought, how easy is it going to be for you to get parts to fix it? And then how easy is it is, is it going to be to get ammo? I have had guys, they say they get some weird caliber and, and love it, and love it. Except you can't buy the ammo anywhere. You actually have to load it yourself because nobody stocks that ammo. That's really stupid. Might be a good collectible, but it's not going to be something you're going to be using all the time. Now, where are you going to buy these guns? This is the other thing that's important. If you buy it by a quote-unquote legitimate dealer, meaning somebody who has a federal firearms license, you will be filling out a federal form 4473. That's just the start. Depending on a state you're in, and I don't mean confusion, I mean the, the state you uh, uh, live in, there might be other requirements. There might be other restrictions. There might be a three-day wait, 10-day wait, 15-day wait. There might be, uh, if you've ever been charged with certain crimes, you might be uh, banned from buying firearms. Democrats make all kinds of laws up. And it's, it, it, as long as we have liberal judges... We're going to lose every case if we try and fight them. So you need to pay attention to your local laws. You don't want to get screwed up. I can warn you right now. If you violate these laws and are caught, uh, your life is going to change. Totally. You can lose everything you own because you'll have to, to pay for a lawyer. You could, there's all kinds of things, nasty, bad things to happen to you. Be aware of this. Don't do anything illegal unless you want to. And if you do, don't get caught. It's, you know, it's that simple. I don't recommend that. But if you go and buy from a dealer, again, an FFL, Federal Firearms Licensee, you're going to have to fill out the paperwork and, and all of this stuff. Now, that doesn't quote-unquote register the gun. The dealer, by law, has to keep that piece of paper or that group of papers that you fill out for 20 years 
on on premises. Now, when you call in, he does an NIC check, National Instant Check. He, when he gets on a phone call and, and he calls up and he says, this is the guy's name, this is his address, his driver's license number, whatever. And they say yay or nay or hold. Well, that's the FBI, and they, they lie and say they don't save that information. Well, that's a flat lie. They save all that information. So this is what happens. You, you buy a firearm legally, there's going to be a trail back to you, a big, wide one. And if you buy, this has already been proven many times. People in California bought AR-15s and AK-47s. This is before the background check. This is before the NIC phone call check. The ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, went to every single dealer in California and said, we want your complete records on everybody who's ever bought one of these type of guns. And they turned them in. They don't have an option. They just give it to them. So that's something to be aware of. These forms also, I don't have the form here with me, but on those forms, they ask you, have you ever been adjudicated mentally defective? Have you ever been on uh, psychotropic drugs? This kind of stuff. If you have ever taken anxiety medication, if you've ever taken depression medication, if you've ever taken, even by accident, there's a record of you having done so. So what can happen, and has happened many times, is that the law enforcement agency that wants you, one way or another, or wants to to ban specific uh, types of people from owning firearms, will get these records, that 4473, the yellow sheet, and say, this guy's been on drugs. Uh, Even though he didn't know he was on drugs, he was just, you know, because he said he had anxiety. Uh, He no longer can have guns. And they will come to your house, knock on your door, and and, uh, take all your firearms. Realize what I'm telling you, I'm not dramatizing this. I'm really, really soft-selling it. What they do is dangerous. And people die every day because they get shot by the law enforcement. Uh, when I was in Modesto, a man's in a bathtub. He doesn't. The only firearm he owns is a six-shot cap and ball made by Ruger, 44, 44 caliber. He's in the bathtub, his wife sitting on the couch with their 14-year-old daughter in their pajamas watching Disneyland, Disney movie. The front door gets kicked in and a bunch of screaming thugs come rushing in the door. The man hears the noise, grabs his six-shot. He's naked. He goes running out into the hallway and he gets 27 rounds from an MP5 9mm fully automatic assault weapon in his chest. And it turned out it was the wrong house. They didn't apologize. They threw the women on the floor, handcuffed them. The guy died in the hallway. They looked, they searched the house, realized it's not a drug house, left the business card and walked out the broken front door, left everybody there. This is standard operating procedure now for law enforcement in the United States. And I'm sorry for you one or two out there that don't do this, but the rest of them do because that's just what they're trained to do. If you want to buy it with paperwork, you go right ahead and you do so. You can get some damn good deals. And if you're one of the people who say, I want that, I want that first Glock 21 that comes out, I want it. You go right ahead. It's totally okay. And you can buy it at a gun store, a pawn shop, big box store, 
like Cabela's or Walmart, that kind of stuff. So the drawback with that is you're going to register it. and uh, But there's possible deals. Now, you can buy on the Internet, and you hear the communists always screaming about, oh, buying, they can, anybody can buy a gun on the Internet. Well, you can, but it has to be sent to a licensed dealer. You, you can't, it's not going to be sent to you. It doesn't happen, ever. It gets sent to a licensed dealer. So, in other words, we're back to square one. You're buying from a gun store. So, you're going to do the registration and all of this stuff. If you buy, and if you if it's legal to do so, you can go to gun shows. Now, there's dealers that do gun shows as well. That's something to, to uh, remember also. Not everybody that at the gun show sitting behind the table is a dealer. The majority of them are not. They're just Joe Schmuck who's got a bunch of handguns or rifles or shotguns, and he just he's had enough. He's just getting rid of them. That's all. Those kind of people generally don't ask for anything other than a receipt. They size you up. They look at you and determine whether or not you're a thug or uh, an idiot who might hurt himself or a gang member, and uh, they determine whether or not you're just a citizen, and they'll, they'll sell you a firearm. And you do the receipt, give them the cash, and off you go. No paper trail whatsoever, except for the receipt, of course. That's up to you to evaluate if that's what you want to do. Now, if you go to a gun show with the purpose of buying a firearm, what you don't want to do is walk around looking nefarious. You don't look over your shoulder all the time. Maybe you should be because every gun show in the United States has at least a dozen undercover agents everywhere from every agency, uh, drug enforcement task force, uh, gang task force, FBI, sheriff's department, police department. You, you don't know how many of these strange agencies there are, and they're all looking for people committing crimes at a gun show. They're watching for known felons. They're watching for wanted criminals. They're watching for people doing stupid stuff. And they will pop you. The other thing at a gun show is that police will drive through, or ATF will drive through, and they uh, photograph every license plate in in the uh, parking lot. And then they run wants and warrants on every one of those license plates to determine whether or not that person is wanted. And if, you, if it shows up positive, well, they'll just station somebody out there waiting for you to come out, and then they'll arrest you. So there's, you know, there's pros and cons on that, too. But going to a gun show, you can find all kinds of deals in there, and it's cash or gold or trade. If you've got guns you don't want, you can take with you. When you walk in the door, they're going to ask you to make sure it's unloaded. Then they're going to put a, usually put a strap in there so it's inoperable, like a little nylon tie strap. And make sure you carry your gun in a, in a soft case so you don't want it to get damaged. And have some kind of, you know, some kind of a, 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 a way that you could, whatever you're going to buy, you can take out with you without getting scratched up as well. Like maybe buy another soft case or something. That, that's just my, my uh, viewpoint on that. But in, so you can buy from a gun store, pawn shop, uh, one of the box stores, internet sites. You can buy at gun shows. You can buy through a paper. Now, not a, not every newspaper allows firearm sales in it. We're in North Idaho. There's not that many Democrats up here yet. Uh, I'm sure within the next few years we'll be nothing more than a a um, 
extension of Los Angeles, but as it is now, people advertise guns for sale in the local newspaper, and then you have the nickel ad, you know, the, the penny saver, nickel ad, whatever you want to call it, the throwaways, you find them at your supermarket like every Thursday or Wednesday. You can find deals in there for sale. you got to be careful about that. Use some common sense. Don't just, you know, some guy goes, yeah, I got this uh, $1,000 gun, I'll take 250 bucks for it. Meet me at my house. I live 100 miles north of here uh, at about 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, don't do that, okay? And then, uh, obviously, you got friends. And a lot of people don't look at guns as anything other than a tool. The guy next door to me used to hunt. He had a 270, and he hunted for 20 years. And then finally one day he said, that's it, I'm done. Too much work, I don't have time for this. So he had a nice Winchester bolt action, 270. Just a good standard, small, lightweight rifle that I know for a fact at a gun show I could get 500 bucks for. He goes, give me 100 bucks. I didn't argue. I gave him 100 bucks. He was happy. So there's various places that you can buy firearms. There's more to this than I'm ever going to be able to explain to you, and I can tell you right now, there's way more to this. One of the most important things is how to evaluate a purchase. Like you, you say, uh, let's just say you look, you're looking for a Derringer. Uh, well, okay, so there's a guy who's got five of them on his table. Well, which one should you buy? They're all the same year. They're all the same manufacturer. What you need to look at are the... Uh, the cosmetics and the mechanical aspect of it and that kind of stuff. Always bring a bore light. Now, a bore light is like a little flashlight with a with an angle, kind of like a little piece of plastic. It, it's like a 90-degree angle that goes on the end of it. So when you turn the light on, and if you were aiming it directly to the left, it'd actually be shining directly in your face. And you would stick that in the bore. Like if it was a bolt-action rifle, you'd pull, open the bolt, and you'd stick it in the bore, turn the light on, and you could looking down the muzzle you can determine what's inside the barrel how the rifling looks if there's any uh, signs of foul play or explosions inside or deterioration or rust or corrosion that kind of stuff when all else fails take a piece of paper and just tear off a little piece of it and stick it down in the bore in the in the chamber reflecting the light into the chamber that helps that works also okay and if you don't have a bore light well that's the easiest thing to do so the idea is to evaluate the first thing you do is you look at the finish now what kind of finish is this weapon anyway now this doesn't matter if it's a handgun a shotgun or a rifle if it's blued you want it to be blued all over you want it to be Totally, you want it to look like brand new is what you want it to do. And I used to joke and say, people say, what are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for a ten, a twenty dollar bill for nine ninety five. So that's that's what you do, and you're looking to seeing the quality of cosmetic finish. If the gun is worn, obviously that'll detract from the value. Now there are variables to that as well. If this gun is a hundred years old, hundred and fifty years old, of course it's going to have some wear on it, and that's considered. Again, obviously, the better quality cosmetic finish, the higher value of the firearm. Now, that's blued. If it's stainless, you want to make sure that it's not been scratched and gouged up. If it's nickel or uh, chrome-plated, then, then again, make sure that it's not scratched up or, or polished or 
discolored. Sometimes you can buy chrome or nickel-plated uh, handguns that, that look almost pink. And what that is, is that when you take a normal firearm or a piece of iron or steel and you want to chrome-plate it or nickel-plate it, you don't just put the chrome or nickel directly on it. First, you have to coat it with copper. Copper sticks to, to ferrous metal. Chrome won't. So you have to coat it with copper. Now, chrome and nickel then will stick to the copper. So you have two layers there. And you can tell when the, when the uh, nickel or chrome starts wearing because you'll get kind of a reddish or a pinkish tinge to the gun, to the metal part there. Okay, so that's that's it. Now, if it's a handgun, I advise taking the grips off if you if they'll let you if you can, because you can remove the grips and you look at the metal there. And sometimes you know you, they don't they they wipe down the outside, but they don't care too much about the inside. And you're going to start seeing some rust and corrosion right underneath the grip. So just think about that. You also look in areas that you wouldn't think to look, uh, like I said, under the grips, around the trigger. Uh, around the front sight, the rear sight. You, you look everywhere you can to make sure there's no rust. That's important. Stains of any kind. Now, if it can be wiped off with a rag, that's no big deal. Scrapes, scratches. Make sure there's no broken sights. That's important. Look at that. Uh, make sure the trigger is functioning and not just flopping around there loose. And check the grips or the stock of the gun. Sometimes people will buy a rifle and the, and they get it real cheap because the buttstock is cracked. So they'll just buy a new buttstock and slap it on there. Well, it's not going to fit like factory original. So that can tell you right there that the gun at one time was mistreated. There's these little tricks to this. You you work if it's a pump action, you work the pump. You make sure that it works fine and everything locks up fine. If it's a lever action, like a Winchester or a Marlin rifle, or a Rossi. You work the lever action, make sure it's smooth and locks up well. Uh, bolt action rifle, make sure the bolt functions right. I always pull the bolt out and check it, make sure it hasn't been messed with. Some You get a lot of these wannabe gunsmiths out there, and they'll take a file to metal. If, if they feel like it's a little sharp or, or doesn't sm- move smoothly, they'll take a file to it. That removes metal. Most of the time you want to polish metal, the parts that wear, not file them down. So be careful of that. And again, you're, you're checking now again for function as well. So you cock the firearm, you rotate the cylinder carefully if they allow it. Now, a lot of collectible revolvers, they don't want you to, revo- to move the cylinder whatsoever. They don't want you to revolve it because that could put light, lightweight scratches in the cylinder. So you, you, you ask before. You ask before you do anything. And there are many people will have signs on the table say, please ask for t- before touching or do not touch. Well, don't show yourself as a buffoon or a moron by ignoring those. You always ask, always. Even if there's no signs on the table, you show the courtesy of asking. That'll help you get a better price in the long run. <laughs> Otherwise, you check, the, does, it, does the hammer cock back? Does it stay back? Does the safety work? Does it work properly when you uh, pull the slide back? Does that does it stay open if there's a, no ammo in it? Does the uh, magazine hold the the slide back? Uh, you work the lever. You, you work all the different parts of the firearm to make sure they're all good. 
And then to make sure that it fires, well, you're not going to put a bullet in it and pull the trigger. <laughs> Unless, of course, i got to tell you this story. I'm at a Stockton gun show. And it was kind of a dead day. And the media is always trying to get in. Always. They, this, they were so bold, this report at comes walking through the front door. Just ignored the ticket seller. Comes walking through the front door with a cameraman right on her back. Just following her. And she just walked straight into gun show. Well, the, the promoter stopped her and told her, uh, no filming in here. And if you want to come in, you have to buy tickets. And she got all, well, I'm the media. You're First Amendment rights and blah, blah, blah. And he just said, get out. So she went out. Okay. So about 15 minutes later, this guy walks in. He walks in, pays his ticket, walks straight, straight through the door to the first table, which was one to my right. And there was a lot of customers that at that table, and he went over to a area where there wasn't no, any other customers, and he's picking up some handguns and looking at them and putting them down and picking up things and putting them down. And after a minute, he turns around and walks out. Yeah, that's kind of strange. About five minutes later, another guy walks in, does the same thing, pays the money, walks straight over to this table, reaches down, picks up a little pistol. It's a twenty-five automatic puts the muzzle in the center of his hand and pulls the trigger. And the gun goes off. Apparently the first guy had loaded the, the, the gun and put a round in the chamber and this moron got talked into coming in and shooting his hand. Bang! And the first words out of his mouth was, Oh, they told me it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> they were videotaping this from the outside. I immediately grabbed a rag, wrapped it around his hand, took him in the bathroom. And I, I uh, patched him up as best I could. It, it was a through and through. It didn't hit any bones or anything. It hurt like hell. And he had to go to the hospital to get it stitched up. But I put antibiotic on it and wrapped it well. And I said, did they tell you to do that? And he said, yeah. They, they, gave me, they gave me 50 bucks to come in here and pull the trigger. They, didn't t they told me it wouldn't hurt. It's too small a gun. It's a small gun. <laughs> So we called the sheriff's department and the sheriff came out because it was there's maybe one gun show out of a thousand there's a live round that goes off. And law enforcement is ready to jump on that, let me tell you right now. So sheriff comes out, checks everyone. I'm, a, I'm an eyewitness. The guy got arrested for, for discharge of firearm in a, in a state building. And the report it and cameraman got arrested and taken to jail. I, I mean, not jail, taken to the to the uh, sheriff's office. I don't know what happened after that. That's the kind of stuff the liberals do. They have they they have no morals in any way, shape, or form when trying to get a story. So to test a gun if it fires, I have a dowel, and it's a quarter it's a quarter inch diameter dowel, and it's about six inches long. Now, uh, one of my customer, a good friend of mine, and a customer. And a listener to the show uh, called me up and said, Kurt, you told us years ago, use a, a number two pencil with a new eraser. I said, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. I do that. So you, you can use a pencil with an unsharpened pencil with a new eraser, not something that's been used because you want that flat top. And that actually works a little better. Like, let's say you're, you're, you're checking out a Beretta 92. So first, pull the magazine out, make sure it's empty, cock the hammer, point it straight up in the air, and lower the, the uh, pencil, eraser first, into the muzzle. Down the barrel, it'll rest on what's called the firing pin block. And then pull the trigger. 
what should happen is the firing pin should hit the eraser of the pencil hard enough to knock the pencil out of the barrel. If it doesn't, then it's obviously not going to fire around. I've found dozens of handguns that the, the firing pins were broken or too short and wouldn't work. And you do the same thing with a rifle. You just, like a bolt action, right? You make sure it's empty, cock the bolt, close the bolt, aim it straight up, lower the, uh, drop the, the pencil down, eraser first, wait till it's centered on a bolt, pull the trigger. You should, if it doesn't knock it out of the barrel, it should make it jump a half a foot anyway inside the barrel. So you just hold it to your ear and you can tell that. That's a trick that it was well known 20, 30, 40 years ago, but nowadays people are like, I don't know if it fires. I don't know if it works. You know, they don't even have the common sense to figure that one out. Now, the other thing, and I mentioned this before, is this the original? Let's say you're, you're buying, you know, you always want the best for the best bang for your buck. So you're going to buy a handgun. You want the best quality you can get, and you want it to come with all of the paperwork at, in the original box. Now, here's why. If it's collectible, collectors always want the boxes. When I closed my gun shop down in 05, I had hundreds of original boxes. People would say, I want to buy that gun, and I don't want the box. Okay, I'm not going to argue. And I keep the boxes. I ended up selling the boxes on eBay because people wanted that box, like a Sig Sauer box, 9mm. The guy has one, but he doesn't have a box for it, and he wants to sell his gun, and it sells better, faster, and for a little more money if he has a box for it, the original box. So if you buy a gun, save your box. Find some place, put the box somewhere where it's not going to get high humidity or destroyed or, or what have you. Because those boxes can bring help you bring top dollar when you if you turn around and sell your gun. So you look for the original box, and you, you look at the serial number on the firearm. Then look at the serial number on the box. Make sure they're original. And you ask the guy, "What is it? Does this come with a holster? Does this come with ammo? Does this come with a cleaning kit? What does it come with?" You ask him because you're going to need all that. If he has it, fine. If not, no big deal. Now, here's the here's the other thing. Do you really need that? I know some people can say, "What are you What are you crazy? Nobody needs guns. They want them." Yes. Well, I understand. But let's say you're you're uh, law enforcement, and you you need to buy a duty weapon. Okay. Well, there's a need there. Do you need a carry gun right now, or do you have one that'll work, or do you, is this one going to be better for you? you? You have to look at your needs and wants. If you're in a dangerous situation and, and there's a restraining order out on somebody who's threatened to kill you, well, you're definitely going to need a gun. So determine whether you need it. Whether you want it, you've already figured that one out. And now determine whether you need it. If it's your, your last dollar, I refuse to sell firearms to people at gun shows. I've I had man and woman come up, and they're in their 20s, and they've just moved into a place in San Francisco, and they were afraid of, of uh, all the neighbors around the neighborhood because they were all thugs. First thing I said, you need to move. And the second thing I said, well, you need to buy a pump shotgun. They were talking to each other, and I could hear the man say to the girl, uh, we, can, we can talk the landlord into you know, holding off for a couple weeks for the, for the rent. And I said, look, no, I'm not going to sell you a firearm because I refuse to take somebody's last dollar. I won't do it. So instead, uh, I sold him a, a, a big canister of pepper spray and t- 
taught them exactly how to use it and you know the whole nine yards. So that only cost them twenty five bucks as opposed to two hundred dollars. Is this that you're looking at buying a good value? Let's say you want to go deer hunting. So you're looking at a a savage bolt action rifle with a three to nine power scope on it, a sling, and a uh, a gun case. Put it in. Just a standard thirty out six bolt action rifle. And the guy says, "This is a hell of a deal. It's only five hundred bucks." And you look at that, and then you think back because what do you do before you buy a gun? Is you do your own due diligence and find out what they sell for. And if you have the blue book of gun values, you can look it up there. Or you can remember that you walked into Cabela's and saw the same gun for $379 with a scope, with a sling, with a case. So this is what you need to figure out. Is this a good value? On the other hand, I've seen people in an emergency situation spend $100 more than something was worth. I had a Detonix. Uh, it was a handmade 45 ACP is a cut-down version of a Colt 1911A1. And I was I was selling it for $375. And this was in, uh, I think, Santa Rosa. Saturday, early Sunday, nobody cared about it. Finally, I said, you know, I'm just... And everybody's coming by, especially the other dealers. I'll give you $350 for that. that. That's not worth that much. It's just some handmade gun. It's not no big deal. Well, I happen to have known what it was. And I got pissed off in the middle of uh, oh, about 11 o'clock Sunday. So I took the tag down and put it put a $500 price tag on it. And then I went to get lunch for us. When I came back, the gun's gone. I go, what happened? Oh, guy bought it. I go, a guy bought it? I jacked the price up. And she said that a guy walked in the front door, walked directly over to the table, said he was a pilot for United Airlines, a uh, uh, private uh, what do you call it, uh, corporate pilot, and he was authorized to carry a gun, and they, they required him to carry a small footprint, large caliber handgun, and the Detonic is it. It's forty five ACP. And the guy goes, looked at, this is my wife telling me this, the guy looked at it and said, my God, the last one I saw was 750 bucks at a gun shop. $500, you bet. And of course, all the dealers around there that are trying to lowball me on a thing was, huh? So the guy was willing to pay price because he needed it right now. So sometimes that's what you're going to need to figure out. So anything that you're buying, you make sure there's no broken parts on it, unless you know how to replace the parts. Personally, I wouldn't even waste my time if I were you. Me, as a trained gunsmith, that's a whole different ball of wax. I can waste my time. I have bought, we had a sign in our Modesto stores that says, I buy everything. And I do. People would bring in double barrel shotguns that uh, they were 40 inches barrels and the last six inches were blown back like a peeled banana. I'd buy it. I'd cut them down to 18 and a half inches. But I bought those. So many guns people would bring and buy them for 20, 30 bucks because I'd tear them down and take the internal parts and save them to repair better quality firearms in, at a future date. And that's standard procedure for most gunsmiths. So you, you just, you need to determine what you want. You need to determine uh, what you need, how much money you want to spend, uh, where you want to get it, because there's ramifications for all of them. Now, I'm in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. 30 miles west of me is Spokane, Washington. Two different states, right? Idaho, Washington. Now, according to the uh, 
the organization that wants to cease all civilian firearm sales, the ATF, you can go into a contingent state, meaning a state that's touching your state, and you can buy and sell long guns, rifles and shotguns. So if if you want a, a hunting gun and you don't want anything with paper, you just jump over the state line, go to the gun show, buy yourself a rifle, you're fine. You may not buy or sell handguns across state lines. Yeah, explain that one to me. Also explain to me, if you get a federal firearms license, why isn't it good federally and just in the state that you have the license in, the address of your business? Yeah, they can't explain that either. So be aware of the local laws, requirements, don't do anything shady or nefarious. I mean, that's my recommendation. You can do what you want. My recommendation is is, is toe the line when you're purchasing a firearm because law enforcement and the government, and I mean city, county, state, federal, they make their money off of schmucks who don't pay attention to the law. Be, be aware of what you buy, where you buy it, who you buy it from. And I'll tell you, the idea of getting a receipt can save your butt. When my wife and I first got married, I wanted a little a little handgun just to define, defend ourselves when we were driving, when we were out, because I lived in, in Hollyweird. So I bought a little twenty five automatic. It's not the caliber. It's bullet placement. Let me, t- let me assure you on that. So I bought this little gun, and I got a receipt. And it was, it was from a... Uh, uh, a black woman. I bought it from a black woman in uh, Hawthorne, and she she said you she she said, "Honey, you, I'm giving you a receipt, and you make sure you hang on to this receipt as for the as long as you live." So I said, "Okay." So bought the gun, put the receipt in an envelope, put it in my safe. Sure enough, twenty years. And I then I sold this thing ten years later, twenty years after I bought that little pistol, the FBI shows up, and they say, "Well, we tracked the gun to you." Uh, it ended up being used in a in a murder robbery in uh, Inglewood, California. So what did you do with that gun? So I showed him my receipt, and I showed him the receipt that I had got from the gentleman that I'd sold the gun to. And, the, and the, it was an older gentleman who collected these little twenty five automatic pistols. Mine mine had been a Colt, probably made about nineteen thirty, and his house had been robbed. So somebody stole the gun. So that's what they do. They they have uh, the, the FBI tracks and the ATF. Every firearm that's found in a commission of a crime, they want its hierarchy. They track it back like you wouldn't believe. They know where it's manufactured. They know the date it's manufactured. They know the name of the manager who issued the serial number. And they follow it all the way forward. So just be aware when you buy a firearm, there is a a uh, hierarchy or or there's a, a a footprint that's been following that firearm up to you it depends on your mood and the law if you want any any uh, paperwork from when you buy it on so that's all i can think of right now of how to buy a firearm any questions on that you guys just get a hold of me at the bottom of uh, armchairsurvivalist.com there's an email address. I'll be more than happy to answer any questions. And I'll tell you, nowadays, if you let's say you buy a Remington 870 pump shotgun. Okay, you get a hell of a deal on it. And you want to know how to fix it or repair it or refinish it. Go to YouTube. It tells you everything. 
hell, you don't even need to go to school anymore to be a gunsmith. You get a weird gun that you don't know what it is, go on YouTube. I bet you somebody's got a picture of it there and how to tear it down. There's something that happened, and i got to tell you about it because I have some history with it. It's uh, Area 51. You know about Area 51. This is a top-secret area that the government said didn't exist <laughs> in, in the middle of the desert in Nevada. And it's, this thing is called Storm Area 51 event. Well, the guy, some guy started it on Facebook. Some millennial. And it was a joke. Well, he'd, he'd come out and he's telling everyone, look, guys, this is a joke. This is not real. Don't go there. Well, they're, they're setting it up as a circus now or even uh, as another Woodstock. And people are going there. And it's, it's, getting, it's, it's getting really weird. I don't think they're going to try and storm Area 51. And, and I can tell you, uh, um, the, the military that are controlling this area, Area 51, they have no sense of humor. They, um, they will f- swat a fly with a bazooka. And they, you can disappear if you're not careful. I accidentally ended up in the area that was be, it's called Area 51, but not, I mean, not in there, not behind the fence. Years ago, uh, I was, I was uh, traveling to a gun show in Phoenix, and I'm, towing a, I'm driving a van, towing a travel trailer, and there's my wife and my two-year-old son there, and my wife's the, the navigator, so she's got this map, and she's flopping it around. She goes, you know, I think, I think if you take this road here, it's not really a, a, a highway, but you can take, it'll save us an hour of travel. Now, this is midnight. So I figured, what the hell, I'll take that road. So we find this road, this, this turnoff. It's not marked. It's just a, just a road. And it is asphalted, so it's, you know, it's fine. So I take this road, and I'm driving. And after about an hour, I ask her, are you sure this is where we're supposed to go? Now, there's no moon out. There's no stars out. It's lightly over, overcast. So it's pitch black. And we're at the top of this hill starting to come down. And I look in the, in the, in the uh, distance, and I see, I see some lights and I'm thinking, well, that's maybe that's a gas station there. I'm, I'm going to stop and ask. So we're driving and we're coming down and getting closer and closer and closer. And I finally we're coming into this this little area. I can't call it a town. It's just a dozen buildings or so, which are all dark, no lights, and they're the only light in this whole area is the sign for the gas station, which one of the lights was out. The S was out. So I'm looking at this light and it says. H E L L, and I look at when we stopped there, and I look up there. I said, "Are you are you sure we're on the right road?" Because <laughs> here's this big light that says "Hell." So she says, "Sure, yeah, let's drive a little longer." So I drive another half hour, and and I come to an overpass, and I'm just I'm too tired to drive. It's, well, it's about two in the morning, so I, so we we uh, hit the hay. I wake up about 5 a.m. I go outside with my Minolta 35 millimeter with a 500 millimeter lens on it. And while Angie's making breakfast, I'm looking around. We're on this overpass. Behind behind me, uh, on one side of the overpass, is a hill. And on the other side is the, the floor of the desert. And it goes out for miles. And I look out there with through this camera, and it's a railroad track coming directly towards us. And I'm I'm seeing buildings way out there. 
So I'm taking some pictures. I got some beautiful pictures of this uh, railroad, this this train. It, it was actually coming this way. So I got some pictures of that, and I'm feeling a vibration. And Angie leans out the door, and she goes, Kurt, I, I think there's an earthquake or something. And I turn, and I look over the hill. Just as I look over the hill, two helicopters come up. Now, unbeknownst to me and the general public, those were the first those were the Black Hawk helicopters that were only myths at the time. Now, I'm taking my cameras on automatic, so it's taking pictures about every two or three seconds. So I've got pictures of those. And then all of a sudden, two Jeeps, one in the front of us, one behind us, pull up, and guys with guns get out. Now, they don't, they don't threaten us with the guns, but the guy walks up and goes, what are you doing here? I said, this is, my wife said, this is a shortcut. He goes, uh, n- no. And we showed him the map, and he goes, well, you got it. that map's 10 years old. This road has been decommissioned. There's not supposed to be any traffic on here at all. And I, well, that's why there was no traffic on here last night. So he said, no, you drive about 15 miles that way, and, and you can hook onto the freeway. So you're, you're not allowed in this area. This is a restricted area. All right, so we took off. And by the way, I have those pictures to this day. I have pictures of the Blackhawks. I have pictures of the train that was coming here. I could not focus on any of the buildings. That's how far away they were. Uh, so this was a security zone I was in. And I get to the to, to Phoenix, and I'm talking to one of the gun dealers down there. And, and I told him, he goes, you're out of your freaking mind. You're lucky you didn't disappear. That was Area 51. I said, what's that? <laughs> I didn't even know. But that's uh, that's what they're playing with right now. And you, you don't want to play with Area 51 because these guys, they don't have any sense of humor at all. So we're getting to the end of the show. Well, I appreciate everybody hanging around and listening. I hope you got some uh, information out of it. I hope you learned something because that's my job. Go to survivalenterprises.com or se1.us and you look under health there and you'll see the colloidal minerals are on sale 20% off. You'll see all the other different products we have. Uh, this is going to be a uh, coming up bad, bad cough and, and flu season. We have products there that can help you. And if anybody has any questions, if anybody wants some help, if, they, if they're, they're concerned about their health, if, if they're worried about a cough, sinuses or something like that, give us a call. 800-753-1981. That's 800-753-1981. One of us will be very happy to talk to you and help you. That's what we're here for. We've been in business 35 years, and our whole job is to help you. So this is uh, Kurt, the Armchair Survivalist, signing off. You keep your nose in the air and your ear to the ground, and I'll see you next time.